0: This is what defines us. Amen? Amen. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A lot of religious leaders have died. They've been buried. But when you study world religions, there's only one that came back from the grave. Take God's word. Turn to John chapter 20. You can follow along on the screen as well. We want to read about this story. John chapter 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes laying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around, and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. This is God's word. The resurrection of Jesus is what defines us. Imagine if you get in the mail a very professional-looking letter. It comes from a lawyer's office. In the letter, it's stated that some distant relative that you've never heard of, you've never met, they've died, and they've left you millions of dollars. How would you feel? What would you think? Now, many of us would think, okay, here's another scam. So many scams today. I had a friend that lost everything. His house, his entire life savings to one of these scams. And you sit there and say this letter is is too outrageous. It can't be true. However, I think most of us would call anyways. (laughs) Why? Because it's too inviting. What if it was true? This is how many people view the resurrection of Jesus. A lot of people view it as a scam. Say it's too good to be true. And yet there's this sense that it's so inviting. And they say to themselves, what if it really was true? Now, if I were to ask you this morning, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again? Most of you would say what? Yes. There's a visual behind me. Last week, Chris put all these strings of what I call chains, and to me, it illustrates that our chains are broken. We are set free. Amen? But if you notice a new piece, there's a cross in the back, and it has red squares all stuck to it with nails. If you were here, good Friday night during the service, those of us that were here, we wrote our sins on a sheet of paper, and we nailed them to the cross. See, that's how we are set free. Now, if I ask you, why do you believe? Why do you believe that Jesus died and rose again for your sins? Most of you would say something like this, because the Bible tells me so. And while this is a true statement, it introduces a problem on how we talk about our faith. Now, just to be clear, here's where I want to start this morning. The event of the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. Amen? Amen. I mean, look what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. The word faith means empty. It means useless. So Paul says, listen, if Christ did not rise again, It doesn't matter what the Bible says. It doesn't matter what you say. It's all useless. It's all empty. It's all in vain. And the church is the body of Christ. And we are the church, just in case you didn't know that. And he's the head. He's the chief cornerstone. And in my own lifetime, I've had four decades in this particular role as a pastor I've had over five decades as a follower of Jesus. And when I look at the church today and I look at what it's founded on, I've seen it transitioning. And I've watched it transition on how it looks. Believe it or not, 40 years ago when I first started pastoring, it didn't look like this. It's transitional on how it sounds. In fact, I think we've made church more interesting than ever. But if Barna is right... In those 40 years, fewer people are actually interested. Barna says there's about 25% of the population in America that are nuns. If you don't know what nuns are, it's not N-U-N. They didn't convert and start putting habits on. They are N-O-N-E, apostrophe S. They're not interested. And 70% of those nuns think the Bible's irrelevant. 30% of those nuns Think the Bible is actually dangerous. And then I think about how the church responds. What do we do? Well, we put on skinny jeans and put up plasma screens. And I gotta tell you, if I put on skinny jeans, it would not attract anybody. (laughs) You would run. I might not be able to walk on stage. But how do we respond? We try to make the church cool and interesting. We tweet it, we text it, we shape it according to our design. And this is not a critique on policies and programs. You know, how we do church, it's always going to change. Just a quick glance of history tells us this. And I'm all for making it interesting and exciting. I mean, we have this awesome God, amen? amen? But we have people who walk among us and end up walking out because they can't believe it, whatever it is, anymore. So how do we talk about our faith? I mean, what do we tether it to? And I'm afraid of what's happening, and what's happened over the last 50 years in our country is that people leave the church, people are not engaged with Christ, because they think and they act that the church is there to fulfill me and make me happy. And that kind of thinking will destroy anything. If you have a couple engaging in a marriage relationship, and if they think it's all about them, to fulfill them, make them happy, it will destroy the marriage. You know, last week, we talked about flipping the script where Jesus came to serve and not to be served, where he washed feet, used the job of the lowest household employee. But take the Bible that I talked about. Just a few decades ago, if you wanted to find out what was in the Bible, you had to find one. Maybe it's in a motel, and it's okay if you took one because the Gideons put it there to be taken. But you had to get one, you had to find one, and you had to find out what was in it. You had to read it. And if we're honest, even for those of us who found Bibles, most of us would wait for the preacher or the priest or someone else to read it for us. Today... You can dismiss what's in the Bible without even owning or reading a Bible. One of the trends that has changed the game is what we call social media. You heard me reference what's going on with the Star Barn, and if you were at the protest, or at least seen the protest this past week, they were carrying signs, and it's quite clear by some people that anyone who believes the Bible is a bigot, full of hate, and they're intolerant. But what social media does it spreads misinformation, mischaracterization. Everyone is just one click away from whatever they want to find out. Let me illustrate. We saw this major shift happen in our culture and our country with religion after 9-11. Many of you might know the name Sam Harris He's a prominent atheist. He was on the lecture tour in universities. He wrote a lot of books. But he came into popularity after 9-11. It's where he propagated a major shift in thinking about religion. And he used 9-11 as a platform. And his theme was this. All religions are dangerous. Now, this was all there prior to 9-11. You could get it in the bookstores. You could get it in his lecture halls. But what shift happened was the social media gave him an all-access pass through the internet. You didn't have to buy a ticket to hear him speak. You didn't have to buy one of his books. You could find it all online in videos and quotes. And after 9-11, he wrote a book called Letters to a Christian Nation. And if you're an adult, I would actually encourage you to read it, but hide it from your kids. Okay? Okay. But his book is a response to the attacks he was receiving from Christians about his beliefs and his comments on the Christian faith, mainly the Bible. Here's some quotes. Here's what he says. He says, the Bible is either the word of God or it isn't. If it is, I'll have a rude awakening on the other side. If there's another side, if I'm right, then all religion is a fairy tale. If the Bible is an ordinary book and Christ is an ordinary man, the basic doctrine of Christianity is false. Those quotes are actually true. But here's the problem with those quotes, and here's the problem with the book. The Bible is not the battle line. That's not the line in the sand that defines us. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I love what Rabbi Zacharias does to people who come up to him and say, well, we don't believe in the Bible. We don't believe in the God of the Bible. Here's his common question. He says, tell me about the God you don't believe in. And after they describe the God they don't believe in, he looks at him and says, well, I don't believe in that God either. Misinformation, mischaracterization. He doesn't start arguing about creationism. He doesn't start arguing about whether or not there was a flood or not. Doesn't argue about whether Christ is coming back or not. He argues on the basis of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We often call this our elevator speech. It's where you get in the elevator, hit number seven, and by the time you're on the seventh floor, if someone asks you to describe your faith, what would you tell that person? See, the single question of the first century church rested on this. Did Jesus rise from the dead? And if he did, then game on. If he didn't, it doesn't matter what I believe the Bible says. Paul says, listen, if Christ did not rise from the dead, your preaching and your faith is useless. So we can argue all we want over creationism, over flood, but... Christian faith rises and falls on a single event. It's the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? So let's go back to that event. After the crucifixion, what happens? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, what do they do? They take the lifeless body of Jesus and they embalm Jesus. In fact, they had like 70 plus pounds of embalming stuff. Why? Why would they do that? Well, they assumed the dead body of Jesus would stay dead. Then some women show up, and what do they do? They embalm the body of Jesus again. Why? Because men can never do it right. I don't know if that's why they did it, but, you know, they too were absolutely convinced that Jesus was going to stay dead all believing stopped. The movement was finished. It was over. They were broken. Their world was shattered. They were disappointed. Jesus claimed too much about himself. The problem was not with what he taught. They didn't understand half of what he taught. Many times, and I love this, Jesus would teach, disciples say, Jesus, that was so profound. Wow, that was so great. But could you explain it to us? We don't quite understand what it means. No one was at the tomb Sunday morning counting down. Saying 10, 9, 8, 7, get to 1. Yes, here he comes. There was no followers after the crucifixion. In fact, the writers of the gospel, they wrote as unbelievers. They went back to their previous jobs. And then it happened. The event that launched a movement. They thought he was dead. They assumed gave over, but he rose from the dead and it was game on. Do you realize that they believed, then they unbelieved, then they rebelieved again. <laughs> they were followers, then they were unfollowers, then they're following him again. There was tens of thousands of Christians before the first Bible existed that risked everything. In fact, 90% of them were illiterate. Even if they had a Bible, they couldn't read one. They weren't hungry for a text. They were driven by an event, a story, that Jesus died and rose again. And the story is death is not the end. There's love, there's forgiveness, there's life beyond anything we can imagine. We love and serve a God who is alive. Amen? Amen? Whose spirit is with us. And he is not silence. And all I want for my generation and the generations that we live with is a step into this story. This is who we worship. You know, I love the story of the Woman at the Well. I mean, Jesus broke so many rules of their day. It was in their versions of their Bibles. And you see her be transformed through a conversation and an encounter with Jesus. And she goes back to her town and without any evangelism training, what's she do? She creates curiosity so much that people came out to hear the story about a man she met. And it says, we believe too now. I mean, do you realize that Christianity is the only religion where the head guy is killed and then comes back to life? That's it. Now, I heard this statement some years ago by Andy Stanley, and I love it. Here's what he says. If someone predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off, I will go with whatever that person says. Amen? Are you willing to step into that? Say this with me. If someone predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off, I will go with whatever that person says. I'm a simple person. I used to be more complex 40 years ago, but to me, it's as Jesus goes, so go I. I don't have to argue about things and about stories in the Bible. What I need to do is introduce people to a resurrected Lord and Savior, amen? Luke 16, verse 16, very interesting verse. It says, the long prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God. What is that? That is the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's the good news. It's preached. And everyone forces his way into it. Very interesting word, forces. It means strongly urged. It's a very passionate word. It's a word of urgency. It's a word that says, I'm compelled that when I believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, I have no choice but to go into it. So here we have this group of 12. That's down to 11. Because one allowed his heart to be taken by greed. Now the tragedy is not that he allowed his heart to be taken by greed. The tragedy is that instead of coming back to Jesus and be forgiven, he chooses to take his own life. He took himself out of the game, and he didn't have to. So Jesus is gathered at the end of his life, actually at the beginning of his resurrected life. And here's what he says in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. I want to go back to the phrase, some doubted. Why did they doubt? And what were they doubting? It wasn't Jesus. He was right there. They could see, they could touch, they could pray, they could worship this resurrected Jesus. So what is it they doubted? Here's what I think. I think they doubted they could make a difference. I think they doubted that they would have any credible influence. I think they doubted that anyone would respond to this message of a resurrected Jesus. And I think they doubted that Jesus could actually make a difference in their life. I mean, just imagine. If we could be transported back, a few of us, to the scene from our century. And they're convinced that we are time travelers coming some 2000 years ahead. I think the first thing is they'd be shocked because most of them believe that Jesus would come in their lifetime or shortly after. When you read scripture, just editorial, you see that things were really bad. There's a lot of persecution, a lot of evil. And they were saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But when they finally got over the shock that this world's still around here for 2,000 plus years, they would ask us, tell us what it's like in Rome where you live. And what would we say? Well, a quick view of history, we'd say, well, first of all, you're not going to believe this. Things are going to continue to get worse. Okay, they said, we can believe that. But then you say, Rome becomes the center of the Christian faith. And they're like, no way. And you say, you know, it was an emperor. One of the Caesars that actually declares that. And they're like, that can't happen that way. And the other thing you point out is this, that when you walk around the city today, there's a lot of crosses. Some with Jesus dying on the cross, some that are empty representing the resurrected Jesus, not crosses that hang people. And there's just another shock. See, We cannot imagine that those who represent the resurrected Jesus, what will happen in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Then you say, well, the bad news is that most of you will die horrible deaths before all this happens, (laughs) which is true. See, there's no way they could predict the impact of Christ in the world. I mean, can you imagine the day of Pentecost where Peter walks out of the room. He starts preaching. Everyone hears it in his own language. Peter did what he was called to do, and God did what only he can do. That's how we have to live as the church. But there's this outpouring of God that day. Thousands of respond. I mean, that's better than any altar call Jesus ever gave. But here's what this resurrected Jesus is trying to say. To the 11 and to us. He says, all authority is given unto me, and I want you to go. I want you to do what you are called to do, and I will do the rest. And when I hear that challenge, I think we're like the 11 on the top of that mountain worshiping, and I think we have doubts. And I think we have doubts on two levels. First, there are people that doubt the message of Jesus is for them. They lie to themselves that they're an exception. It's like Judas. Somehow he couldn't come back because he betrayed Jesus. They lie that God cannot forgive, heal, and love them. And if this is you, in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to take that lie down and become a follower of Jesus because the resurrected Lord and Savior says, I can and I will. I think the second group of people doubt that the church. And let's make it personal. Let's look at GBC can have any influence in the world in which we live. The choir sang, and you applauded, appropriately so. Here was one of the phrases, we are more than conquerors. Now, you might like the emotion of the music, but that's not the point. They were singing a phrase in Scripture, That if we believe in the resurrected Jesus, he says, all authority is given to me. I want you to go. You are more than conquerors. See, it's not about what happens here. And yes, as we gather to worship, it's significant. Scripture says we don't forsake the assembling ourselves together. But what's significant is, is when you walk and move out into your areas. And I'm going to use the word of ministry. Because you're all called as followers of Jesus but some of you doubt that you can make a significant difference because there's too much misinformation and too much mischaracterization. Jesus says, go. You know, as I look around on Sunday mornings and even this morning, I always have to think about empty seats and you know what empty seats mean? Empty seats is saved for a person that needs to find out who Jesus Christ is. Amen. Amen. And I'm curious how many of us believe that those empty seats have somebody's name on it that if we're willing to go, God will use us to introduce them to Jesus and fill that seat. I mean, do you believe there's enough people out there who need Jesus to fill this place? Now, I'm not talking about filling with other Christians. But can you imagine what the resurrected Jesus wants to do in and through GBC? If we do what he's called us to be and do, and if we let him do the rest. So let me go back to my first group of people. This doesn't mean you understand everything we're talking about. But God's spirit has been prompting your heart saying, you know what? I need to do this. And if you're here this morning and you want to make a decision to be a follower of Jesus, how we do it here and again, this is a safe place. Um, just stand your feet. We're going to have someone meet with you and they're going to sit down and explain this and pray with you so that you can do this this morning. So if you're here this morning and you want to be a follower of Jesus and you haven't done that in the past, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and we're going to kind of do this right now. Anyone? And if I don't see you, just kind of jump up and down and wave and scream. Get my attention. Okay. There's one young man. Anyone else? Right. Well, just just stay up. Greg's gonna meet you in the back. Okay. And he's gonna sit down with you. Is there anyone else? It's all some handshakes and everything else going on, that's appropriate. Now to the rest of you. I wanna invite you to engage. And what that means is you go out and you don't argue the Bible. But what you do is engage people and introduce them to Jesus Christ. I got news for you. You can't change anyone else's mind. But guess who can? Jesus can. So you do what God's called you to do and let God take care of the rest. Amen? So I invite you to engage. I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to sing a song about Christ being the cornerstone as a celebration of the Easter season. As they do that, I want to pray with you. Father God, every year we celebrate the resurrected Jesus. And I pray this year, once again, as we come to worship you, you just instill in our minds and our hearts in our lives, in our homes, at our jobs, that this is the most incredible event that we stand on. Nothing else matters. I pray this week as you give us opportunities to introduce Jesus, we do it with the idea that we're more than conquerors. We don't do it with the goal that we have to change them, but we do it with the goal of, hey, when they see you, you do what only you can do thank you for this privilege. I thank you for the people in this church. I pray that all of us realize that we can nail our sins to the cross, that our chains are broken. We are set free. And we celebrate that with our friends, our family, with people at work, for people that frustrate us, for people that we might even consider our enemies. Because you too died for them. But thank you, Lord. We worship you and you alone. In your name we pray these things. And everyone said, amen. Amen.